Let me pray as we come uh, to God's word. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, for the opportunity that we can gather under your word today. Lord, we sometimes take it for granted, but we know that it is a privilege to gather together. And Lord, as we now come to your word, we know that your word speaks to us today. It, uh, you use it to shape us, to challenge us, to encourage us. Lord, you have uh, something for each and every one of us today to be changed and challenged by your word and to be reminded afresh of your gospel. So we pray that you'll be doing that work in each and every one of us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Costco is an American international company. It's the second largest retailer in the world. I'm a Costco member. I know that some of you guys are Costco members. Uh, we enjoy both the Bundamba and the North Lake stores here in Brisbane. But Costco began in 1976 as a store called Price Club in San Diego, California. Fast forward to today, it has 828 stores worldwide, more than 111 million memberships in 15 different countries, and they're opening their first warehouses this year in New Zealand and Sweden. But while Costco's had stores outside the US for many, many, many years, they really began their international global focus in the year of 2013. This moment, or this milestone, they call it the Costco craze, when Costco decided to move aggressively to open warehouses globally, opening 26 warehouses that year outside the US and aiming for 95 new stores between 2013 and 2016 all overseas outside of US and Mexico. You see, for this company, Costco, 2013 was the milestone for them. It was the turning point when the doors opened for global expansion. Uh, we in Brisbane are actually the benefits of it today because Costco North Lakes was part of that global plan, uh, which opened in May 2014. Well, as we look at the Costco story and Acts chapter 11, I think there's some uncanny similarities between the two for us today. Because Acts chapter 11, along with last week, Acts 10, in the story of the Bible, it's a huge milestone. It's a turning point for God's people, just like 2013 was for Costco. It's when the doors open for global expansion for the good news of God. And we, today, meeting as God's people, we're benefits of what happened in Acts 11 too. Because we get to be part of the membership, not of Costco, but of God's church. A church that before this point in Acts was mostly made up of Jews, those from Israel. But what we read here in Acts 10 and 11, it shows us the inclusion of Gentiles, non-Jews, into the people of God. And we find in this chapter two sections and two stories that we'll look at quickly. And the first section picks up from last week. Remember Peter, he witnesses to Cornelius and his friends 
Gentiles, non-Jews, unclean, uh, and outside of God's people. And the Holy Spirit fell on them, the end of Acts 10. And these Gentiles were baptized into the name of Jesus. And that's where verse 1 starts, if you have a look. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, what happened in Acts 10 just before was so big that the word spread like wildfire. Remember last week, Jeff Island, he highlighted the relationship between Jews and Gentiles and that hatred, the animosity, the separation. Jews didn't hang out with Gentiles. But Peter, this kingpin apostle, this Jew, he went into an unclean Gentile's house and he had fellowship, shared a meal with Gentiles. And some of the Jews in Jerusalem, they're called the circumcision party. They're devout Jewish believers, uh, but they insisted on circumcision of Gentiles to become part of God's people. And these guys, instead of rejoicing with Peter about the great news of Gentiles coming to Jesus, they criticize him instead. They say, why do you hang out with these grubs? Why do you Go and eat with these dirty Gentiles. And at best, these guys, they were just unaware of how God worked in the events of Peter and Cornelius. But at worst, they were resisting and opposing God's mission to the Gentiles and not fully understanding the good news of Jesus. But as Jeff said last week, we can't be too hard on these guys at this point because this is a huge milestone, a huge turning point from centuries of relating to the Gentiles in other ways. So Peter, he gets up and the rest of this first section uh, recounts the events of chapter 10. Well, let's read it all starting from verse 4. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he'd seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, and bring Simon, who's called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. 
As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? You've heard this story a couple times. We're not going, going to go through this line by line as most of the details were talked about last week. But there's three things here that I want to draw your attention to. Firstly, note that Luke, the author who writes Acts, he decides intentionally to recount this event again in great detail. He repeats chapter 10, telling these accounts, these events twice. That means from Luke, the author's perspective, that this story is important to understand. It's highlighted, it's flagged, it's emphasized, it's significant. It's a milestone that we need to see. Second, note how Peter, he emphasizes God's work all through this account. It's God who speaks to Peter in this vision. God, through the angel, reveals himself to Cornelius. God's the one who's going to tell, who tells Cornelius what's going to happen, what he's to do, and that life-saving message that he's going to hear. God, he orchestrates Peter to go to Cornelius' house. It's God's spirit that falls on Cornelius and the other Gentiles. You see, in this story, it's not Peter's naiveness at work. It's not an accident. It's not fake news. This is God at work. It's all God at work in Gentiles believing in Jesus. And the third thing to note here, these events here and in Acts 10, they remind us of Pentecost. They look back to Pentecost in Acts 2. Remember Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching the good news, the Spirit falls on the Jews, and this is the beginning of the witness in Jerusalem. And here we see, alongside the end of Acts 10, Peter, he preaches the good news, the Spirit falls again now on Gentiles, and now it's the beginning of the witness of the gospel to the Gentiles. You see, the Gentiles had experienced the same Thing the Jews had experienced too. So at the end of verse 17, it says they should be accepted equally as part of God's people. They both shared the same Holy Spirit experience. And it looks like Peter's account has convinced these Jewish believers in verse 18. It says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, these Jewish circumcision party hearers, they were speechless. They were processing, comprehending this milestone, this change uh, in this moment. And while other Jews will respond differently later on in Acts, this audience here in chapter 11 it seems like they're convinced. They praise, they glorify God, and they rejoice together in what has taken place. 
they exclaim, repentance and salvation has reached the Gentiles. As we keep going, we're speeding through, uh, we come to the second part of this passage. And many of you know that feeling uh, when you hear something big happen, you really want to go and check it out for yourself. Uh, Last weekend, when the floods were happening, I was checking the news, I was looking at all the photos I could on Facebook, and I did my best to go out and sticky big the creeks around me to see what was happening. We like to make sure what we're hearing is really happening. And this is what happens here in Acts 11.2. You see, here we find the growth of this church in Antioch. Antioch is this Roman city. It's about 700 k's north of Jerusalem in modern-day southern Turkey. And in the first century, this city, Antioch, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was behind Rome and Alexandria. It was big. It was a metropolis. It was kind of like Brisbane behind Sydney and Melbourne. And in verse 19... The spotlight in Acts shifts to Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Well, if you go back a couple of chapters, you remember Acts chapter 8. Stephen, he was stoned to death, and all the believers, they scatter. And the story picks up here from there. And believers who were scattered, they went westward uh, by sea over to the island of Cyprus. Uh, They uh, went northward outside of Jewish lands, past Samaria to the region called Phoenicia on the western coastline, which is modern-day Lebanon and a bit of Syria, and even up to this huge city called Antioch. Luke says that initially the believers... They only shared the good news of Jesus to Jews. But this suddenly changed. As believers, they went up to Antioch, and maybe after hearing about what happened with Peter and Cornelius, or maybe out of their own accord, they shared the good news of Jesus to Hellenists, Greeks, Gentiles, non-Jews, And here we read that a crowd of these non-Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, Hellenists, they turned to Jesus and believed. And that's another milestone in the spread of the gospel in Acts. So Barnabas, he's sent up uh, to check and to uh, report about what's happening, and we see that in verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. 
Barnabas, this guy, he verifies that the gospel is actually spreading, that people are really believing in Jesus. Uh, He's probably gone up to make sure that the true gospel is being shared and people are truly believing in Jesus uh, and no false teaching was happening. And here it says he's not just satisfied, he's glad. And he encourages them to keep going, to keep living for Jesus. And it seems that Barnabas and his arrival triggers more conversations, more people turning to and believing in Jesus as Lord. So much more people, so much more things happening that Barnabas, he can't do it himself. He looks for help in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. You see, Barnabas, he finds, uh, he enlists his new buddy called Saul. Uh, Note that here he's still called Saul. Uh, Saul, the persecutor, doesn't change to Paul the apostle. He always had both names of Paul and Saul. And Barnabas, he brings Saul to Antioch, and they spend the year teaching the church, growing the church, discipling the church. And I'm guessing it's not just weekly Sunday sermons. We're talking about Bible studies, things happening in the middle and the end of the week, seminars, conferences, and the lot. And the witness in Antioch was so significant that we read in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You see, this term that we use today, Christians, it's originated as the church in Antioch grew. And note here, it's not a self-description. It's not that they called themselves Christians. They were called Christians. It was a nickname given to them. It probably started out as a derogatory term, from what history says. Those Christ people, those Jesus people. And I think it should be a reminder for us today, Christians, we're Jesus people, we're Christ people. And we were people always ridiculed by the world. It was a nickname born out of growth and persecution. And note the final part here shows the love shown, the gospel overflowing in the Antioch church. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, and that's referring to the Roman world, and this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. We often get sidetracked by this uh, Agabus fella or get put off by what he does. But the point here isn't about him at all. But note here with this Agabus guy, it's not a thus says the Lord, repent and believe prophet. He's a New Testament prophet teaching the Word of God kind of prophet. And he foretells a famine in the Roman world, a famine 
that actually happens in the time of Claudius the Roman Emperor's rule in the mid-40s AD. And the highlight here is how the Gentile church in Antioch responds to this. You see, they don't say, who cares about the Jews, those enemies, those guys in Jerusalem? They hate our guts, even though they're Christians. Let's just keep our money and resources for ourselves. Because remember, they were going to be affected by this famine too. But instead here, we see a unity, a generosity, a care and concern for the brothers and sisters outside their church and what's happening there. And we see the gospel transforming hearts and overflowing in these Gentile Christians' lives. We see they donate. They send a relief to Jerusalem, whether it be money or food or resources. You see, in this church in Antioch, this new Gentile church, we see conversions, we see growth of Christians, and we see the gospel overflowing in their lives. What a great milestone in Acts 11. What a great movement of the gospel we see here. What a moment to look back on and to be changed by today. Gentiles are reached. The gospel is clarified and continues to move, and we see growth in the church. And I think, as we finish off today, uh, these themes are the key themes in today's passage. And we're going to finish by summarizing them and applying them for us today. And the first theme is Gentiles. That's really the issue here in Acts 10 and 11. God's good news of life in Jesus finally reaches the Gentiles. It's a milestone. It's a significant moment in the early church because the gospel has now spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and now it's reached the start of the ends of the earth. Gentiles hearing and accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We might take this for granted today, but when we read about God's people in the Old Testament, God's special people was Israel to the exclusion of all others. And you and I essentially had to become a Jew to become a person of God. It was never meant to stay that way. The Old Testament points to this. It was always moving to be a global, all-reaching people. And here in Acts 10 and 11, we see the doors finally swing open. Gentiles are equally accepted as a part of God's people. Gentiles, including all of us today, Aussies, Asians, South Africans, Euros, even Kiwis, we're welcome into God's kingdom. We're equally a part of God's people, God's special and unique people. You and I, we get to experience God's goodness and his salvation won in Jesus. And this is something that we should read here. We should look back to and praise God. We should praise God for his goodness, for his love and grace, 
for his working in the early church for his promise to be realized that Gentiles would hear the gospel and be saved into God's kingdom. God is indeed good, and his good news has no bounds, and we are a testament to that this morning. And if God does indeed accept Gentiles into his kingdom, and all are equally accepted, no matter what culture, tribe, or background, this should affect how we accept others today into God's kingdom too, to reach out to people who are different to us and to do it personally, not just by way of giving money to missionaries, to accept people who are different to us as equal in God's kingdom, as equally welcomed into our local church, not having nothing to do with them or rejecting them because God has accepted Gentiles. He's accepted them equally as part of God's church, his special people. So how can you and me, how can we celebrate accepting all equally today? Well, make sure you equally welcome people differently who are different to you, whether they be different cultures, backgrounds, or lifestyles. Don't just handball them to other people. Learn to connect with them, to love them, to care for them, because God loves and cares for them, and God has accepted them equally in his forever family. Remember God, he did that for you and me too. Also make sure that you value people who are different to us. What we say and what we hear says a lot about us and what you value. So let's make sure that your words and your thoughts value those who are different to you for your own benefit and for the benefit of those who hear you. I think as Aussies that we're very laid back. Uh, we joke a lot as Aussies. And sometimes we joke too much about race and culture. And we joke so much sometimes that it actually unintentionally builds barriers to accepting others. Even if you don't mean to discriminate, it might expose your heart or it might stubble the hearer's heart. And let's be honest too, sometimes we don't joke. Sometimes we do say hurtful things about different people who are different to us too. So let's be aware of what we say, what we think, and what we listen to. Grow your value to people who are different to us. And make sure you pray for people who are different to you. Pray for the spread of the gospel in foreign cultures and lands. Pray for those uh, with different cultures to you to hear the gospel, even here at Hertford Street. Pray for those with different lifestyles to you. Not that they would conform to your lifestyle, but that they would conform to godliness, Christ-likeness, that they would come to Jesus. I personally find that praying like this about people who are different to me, it often changes my heart towards those who are different to me and actually grows my love and my care for them too. The first theme here is that the good news of Jesus has reached the Gentiles. And the second theme in Acts 11 
is about the gospel. Because if you didn't catch on in Peter's account of Cornelius, the nature of the gospel message was at stake. Did the Gentiles who believe also have to be circumcised or to be culturally Jewish? Or were they saved by believing in Jesus alone for salvation? And when Peter's audience glorified God about Gentiles coming to faith, it was a huge shift in Jewish thinking. They affirmed the gospel message, the message of salvation and life, the good news of Jesus. It's about believing in Jesus alone. That's what they affirmed, turning to Jesus in repentance and faith and accepting him as Lord and Saviour. Nothing more. Not being circumcised, not following the Mosaic law, nothing more believing in Jesus alone. All this to say the gospel message is about believing in Jesus. You can't add to the gospel. And I think this is important for us today too. Because I think you and I, we, we have a tendency of adding to the gospel. For ourselves, when we say, I have to be like this and do this, and then God will set me, that's adding to the gospel. Whether you're already a believer, we can still add to the gospel message. If I just gave this much of my offering and my time, if I just read my Bible this much, prayed this much, been to church this much, done this much good or serving, then God will be happy and then he would accept me. Or whether you don't believe in Jesus and you think, I have to be a good person first. I have to do this many good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds. I have to be charitable first. I have to get my life in order first and then God would accept me as one of his. All this we say and we think for ourselves and for others when the gospel message, the good news of life in Jesus, it's all about believing in Jesus alone, turning to him alone, accepting him as Lord and Saviour and nothing else, nothing more. You can't add to the gospel. How does God accepting Gentiles into his forever family challenge your understanding of the good news of Jesus today? Believing in Jesus alone for life, not adding anything more. That's the gospel message. And our third and our last theme I think we see in this chapter about, is about growth. Gospel growth. Church growth, growth in God's people. And we see this here at the end in the Antioch church. We see this church here witnessing to all, growing all, and the gospel overflowing in life. And all through this, we see people turning to Jesus. You see, we see growth in numbers, but we also see growth in maturity as the gospel is taught and proclaimed to all. 
Well, let me ask you this morning. We all want to see church growth, don't we? Both in the global and in the local church. We'd love to see all of these pews filled here in this church. And if you've been here at Hertford Street for a long time, if you remember about five, six years ago when the church was down to 15, 20 people and thinking of closing its doors, you've been praying for growth. You've been praying for growth for many years. We would love to be like the church in Antioch today. Well, let's look at how this church in Antioch grew. First, it's ordinary disciples sharing the gospel. Verse 20, some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they don't even get their names mentioned because they're just ordinary believers sharing Jesus to others. And twice it's emphasized here, a great many people believed in Jesus through the work of Barnabas and Saul, and also through the work of ordinary Joe Blow disciples. We often say today, leave it to the gifted ones, leave it to the younger ones, leave it to the more passionate ones. But here in Acts 11, it's ordinary disciples who are sharing the gospel. It's Christians doing it together, not alone. And the church it grows by conversions. Not just people transferring memberships between churches. And that's what we want to see today. Churches that are growing by conversions. Conversion growth, not just transfer growth. And if that's what we want to see today, conversion growth, people coming to Jesus, and that's what ordinary disciples do, that's what and where we should be focusing on in today's church. Conversion growth, witnessing to people and seeing them believe in Jesus. That's where our energy and resources should go. Evangelism, conversion growth, sharing Jesus and seeing people believe in Jesus. Second thing in this church, we're almost there, it's by disciples growing in maturity. Paul and Barnabas, they spent a whole year here teaching these new believers. And it says they taught, they taught a great many people, not just the odd people who turned up, a great crowd, a great many people were taught. Disciples, they were wanting to grow in maturity so much that Barnabas couldn't do it alone and he had to find someone else in Saul to help him. So let me ask you this morning, how much are you wanting to grow in maturity today? How much are you wanting to help others grow in maturity today? Is this something that you will prioritize in your life, in your commitments, growing in maturity? Whether it be reading your Bible regularly, going to community groups, training events, discipleship meetings, reading or listening or some other mode of learning. The most common comment I hear today, I don't have time. But you make time for things that are important to you. And the second most common comment I hear, I'm not a reader, I'm not an academic. But this comment 
easily becomes an excuse not to commit to growth. We all have access to Bibles. Our church library has great books, easy-to-read books and denser books, and we only at Hertford Street organise and promote a few key training events in the year that all of us can get to. And there's many other ways to grow too that we haven't mentioned here yet. And the third and final thing we see here about growth, the growth of the Antioch church is seen by the gospel overflowing in life. The gospel convicting you to a point where it shows in all aspects of all you do and say every day, every moment. Just like how these new Gentile believers, they ship their money, their resources, all the way down to Jerusalem, a city full of people that were enemies of Gentiles. You see, their care and their concern was transformed by the gospel. Well, let me ask you this morning, has the gospel affected you in a way that it has transformed your life? Has the gospel affected you in a way that's still transforming your life today? It might be big things like being generous with your money, how you approach your job and what it means for serving God with your time, or how you care for others, both believers and non-believers, the general community around us, like helping out somehow in the flood cleanup, for example. That's the gospel overflowing into your life. Or maybe it might be small things, day-by-day, moment-by-moment things, but still significant things, like your care to someone when you're just interacting with them in the moment, like choosing to be patient instead of getting frustrated about someone. That's the gospel overflowing into your life. Or maybe it's like connecting with someone, talking to someone, loving someone that you usually wouldn't talk to or just the minute and second-by-second Christ-like choices you make, choosing to live like Jesus instead of living for your own selfish desires. How is the good news of Jesus overflowing into your life today? How's the gospel transforming your attitudes? How's the good news affecting how you relate to others How's it changing the way you live? You see, growth is seen in the church in Antioch, and it's seen here through witnessing, maturing, and the gospel overflowing in life. How does this challenge you today as we consider growing as a church? Well, we're about to finish off now our time in Acts 11. Uh, We've seen this milestone moment here. As the early church, it goes global. The growth we've seen in the church in Antioch, we've seen Gentiles accept the gospel by believing in Jesus alone. Well, as we finish off this morning, let's pray that God would work in each of us in light of his word. Let's pray. Father God, help each of us to respond to your powerful, life-giving, and life-transforming word today. 
Lord, we've considered this milestone moment in the growth of the early church. Lord, we thank you for your gracious good news. We thank you for accepting Gentiles like us equally as part of your saved people. We thank you for showing us this growing church in Antioch. Lord God, help us to praise you for your gracious gospel. And Lord God, we ask that you would change us to be truly Christians, people known to be of Christ Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.